Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory from the Relevant Radio app. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Are you ready for Ash Wednesday tomorrow? Also, St. Valentine's Day. How did you navigate that one? It's a great question. I'll actually be sharing the story of St. Valentine a little later on here on the show. You may or may not know this, but St. Valentine died by being sentenced to a three-part execution of beating, stoning, and finally decapitation. Why? I'll tell you a little later here on the show, but I think it's a fitting day to have St. Valentine's Day on Ash Wednesday, and I wanted to discuss it beforehand. So it's something for us to ponder, food for thought, as the day progresses. You're listening to Trending with Tim Ray here on Relevant Radio. If you supported us over the last week with our pledge drive. Thank you so much for your donations, for staying with us, listening, and for praying. Praise God we were able by your generosity to meet our need. And yet it's still the opportunity if you'd like to give that you can give because every little bit over that three million mark does make it so that we can grow. Those $3 million just help us to cover basic operating expenses, continuing to run our over 200 radio stations across the nation. So if you would still like to give, it's not too late. You can give easily online at relevantradio.com or via the app as well. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. If you're not sure what you're going to do this Lent, I have some ideas for you and also some ways for you to start doing a little bit of soul searching and digging over the next day to really create a battle plan and have a great Lent uh, because you're prayerfully going into it and also prayerfully willing to adapt as maybe you take on too much, too little, or sometimes Lent just seems to be a season that God really does allow for a certain certain crosses and suffering to be endured. Joining me today on Trending, I heard the story and that we had to have him on it was is Hugh Brown. He's the executive director and vice or executive vice president of American Life League on the front line of the pro-life movement, but he also is the St. Michael's High School football coach in Virginia. Why I'm having him on today is because I saw the confrontation between Travis Kelsey and coach Andy Reid over the weekend Super Bowl and if you didn't catch a confrontation it looked heated it looked as if Kelsey shoved Reid coach Reid during the game and as sports commentators during the game said he claimed that he was saying hey put me in uh, we'll unpack that a little bit more but just to give a little more background to it how this partially came across my purview was the Taylor Swift fans everywhere. And I know some football fans are so sick of hearing about her correlation with with the Super Bowl. It, it's funny, actually, like when you really think about it, but Taylor Swift fans are universally calling for a breakup between Swift and Kelsey after the egregious behavior of Travis Kelsey. I think there's a much to be explained in what happened on the field, but I think there's a lot to be taken away from it with regard to competition. So joining me today, again, here on Trending is Hugh Brown. 
He's the executive vice president at American Life League, but also the St. Michael's High School football coach in Virginia. And I always love your take on topics such as this. Just putting a little bit more, I think, context into it, Hugh. Um, here we are. We hear the news initially that Kelsey's yelling at Coach Reed to put him in. He uh, comes up and, like, bumps Coach Reed over and looks like he shoves him. But we'll hear in an interview in just a moment that Coach Reed said, hey, he just caught me off balance. That was all. But here's the initial, some of the initial commentary on the incident, the confrontation between Kelsey and Coach Reed. Listen up. After the fumble, he comes over to Andy and goes, keep me in. What happened is on the fumble, he was not in the game. Noah Gray went in and he had to block. So they show this initial clip, and here he is. It looks like he's shoving the coach, and, I mean, he really gets in his face to yell at him, and maybe it's just really loud. I don't know. But then both were interviewed after the fact, and Kelsey chalked much of the situation up to, hey, I got really passionate, a little overheated, and, you know, I, I love my coach. He actually, and just looking at a little bit of what he said here, he said, I just wanted to let him know how much, how passionate I am about this team. And he says, also, coach tells us to speak our minds. And again, kind of indicates that he got a little caught up in the moment. Now, coach Reed said he caught me off my balance. I just wasn't watching. And he was saying, just put me in. I'll score. I'll score. So that's really all it was. And he said, I love that. Well, multiple interviews have been conducted since then. And here's one where uh, coach Reed makes another comment on the altercation that if if you look at the video and the photos, look pretty intense. Listen to this. He, he caught me when I wasn't looking. <laughs> I saw that. It's a fumble. That was another turnover. Yeah, he didn't know that. Your place. He didn't know I was going to go that far. You right. Know? So he came. Then he came over and gave me a hug. So he said, sorry about that. But he, you know what? He just wants to be on the field and he wants to play. And so uh, there's nobody I get uh, better than I get him. He, he's a competitive kid and um, he, you know, he loves to play and. He makes me feel young, you know, but my balance is terrible, booger. (laughs) I thought this was a really lighthearted way of handling it, and I think he really diffused any tension. It really does sound like there's nothing ill will meant by it. Coach Reed... I think has some pretty tough skin just given the way he handled it because it could also be somewhat embarrassing. There's a lot I want to dive into this from male aggression, too much, too little. Is this toxic masculinity as Taylor Swift fans are probably calling it? Uh, Joining me now is Hugh Brown, again, Executive Vice President of American Life League, but also a football coach there in Virginia with St. Michael's High School. Hugh, welcome to Trending. Love your thoughts on this. Oh, of course. Of course. Thank you for having me. So everyone keeps talking about Travis Kelsey. But I think what you have to look at is Coach Reed's reaction, right? I mean, mm-hmm. Travis mm-hmm. Kelsey is is a trained warrior. The guy is paid to perform. He performs at the highest level. This is a very game. It's a game of intensity. It's a game of effort. It's a game of emotion. It's a game of will. And as, as sort of in, in his face as he was to Coach Reed, Coach Reed didn't respond, right? Coach Reed is a professional. He just He did stumble. It reminded me of me as we get older. You know, I've been run over now twice um, in the last couple of years on the sideline or at practice and because uh, I was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Would have never happened to me in my youth. But as we get older, Coach Reed is exactly right. You know, you're balanced. He's not paying attention. Um, so to me, like the emphasis should be on Coach Reed. Coach Reed's a professional. He's now won three Super Bowls, I think, in four years or, or five years with this group. Um, and that uh, uh, Travis Kelsey has been a part of all of that. It's a very, very emotional game. And then to play in the largest stage in the biggest game 
of your career because every Super Bowl that, that keeps that keeps coming is always the biggest one. The next one is always the biggest one. Um, Travis Kelsey just got emotional. It happens because in the, in that play <clears throat> prior, something negative had happened because he he was taken out and the guy they put in had made a mistake and he wants to be in the game. And as a coach, that's what you want. Could he have gone about a little bit differently? Sure. Right. But the culture of that team obviously is incredibly well put together because all they do is win. Right. All they do is win. And they've also got some really outstanding human beings on that team from uh, their, their kicker, Harris Buckner, who's a, you know outstanding Catholic to Patrick Mahomes, who thanks God after the game. I mean, Coach Reed has done an incredible job. And while I think the, the actions of Travis Kelsey, you know, maybe were a little a little bit much. Um, it's just also a heat of the moment. And Coach Reed responded perfectly. He just kind of looked at him, you know, I think mumbled something and they just move forward. <laughs> you know, he's focused on the game and the next play. Yeah, he's not heated. And look at the humility. I mean, that's embarrassing. He knows the cameras are on him. He knows people probably people saw that. I mean, millions of people saw that uh, present and not present. And it, it, I think it's a powerful take to see his response. And even it was interesting, the very first on the field when Kelsey was confronted about it, and he had this like almost embarrassed, like, oh, you saw that. We're just going to keep that between <laughs> he and I. Because clearly right. he was embarrassed, but he didn't really mean anything by it based on their responses. And he actually made a comment later on. Kelsey saying, look, I owe my entire career to this guy and and just being able to control his emotions. And he just is almost the the response at one point is a little convoluted, but it seems to be that he's saying that he's even been shown the example of how to control his emotions by Coach Reed, which is exactly what you're pointing to. So, you know, one of the things that we talk about as men, and this this relates to life, um, you know, when you have a problem, it's not the problem. It's how you respond to the problem, right? And I've always said since I was a young man in a crisis situation, he who keeps his head about him is going to come out on top. And in that moment, that's exactly what Coach Reed did. And he, sh- I think that example shows you why, why they are successful, why they are such a mm-hmm. good team. It's not just an individual. Sure, Patrick Mahomes is special, but that's a, that, that team is unbelievable. That defense did a great job, and there were plays being made all over the place. And I've coached now in high school for six or seven years. And, and a, you asking me to talk about this, I was thinking about our sideline. And I have two memories. Um, and both memories are very similar to this. And I'm thinking about all the games I've coached. And I have games that I'm sure we won and it was dramatic. And I don't really hold anything. It's not in my heart. Um, which tells you that sometimes these moments can be moments for teaching. The first one, we played during the coronavirus. We opened high school football in Virginia. Uh, we were the only game in September of 2020 with six other programs, private school that decided to play because we all agreed if we didn't play, we're probably going to lose our programs because that's how that's how tenuous this whole thing was. In that game, it was the largest crowd we'd ever seen, and it was heated. And one of the most talented young men I've ever coached, um, he, he got tackled in the backfield. He got tackled in the backfield again. But we were also playing a team that in a normal circumstance we would have never scheduled. And we competed with them right to the very end and lost that game but ended up beating them a few weeks later. In that moment, well, I called a timeout because I could see things getting out of hand. He's running his mouth, saying very negative things outside of the huddle. That's the, the, the timeout that we had called out on the on, on in the middle of the field about our offensive line. And I just kind of like blow out of the huddle, grab him by the chest. He's a lot bigger than me, and drive him like three yards and got right in his face and said, "Number one, these guys are killing themselves for you, and number two, you don't ever talk about your teammates like that." Ever. They're out here dying and laying, laying down everything for you. 
against an opponent that if we don't have the coronavirus, we're never scheduling these guys, right? But they're out here doing the very best they can, right? And they expect the very, I said, are you perfect? And he said, no, sir. And I saw all of that emotion leave. He calmed down and he played and finished a, a fantastic game. A year before that, we uh, won a state championship. And in the playoff game, we were playing the only team that had beat us that year. And it was 7-7. Seven to seven. It was the end of the first quarter. And a, another running back that I had was a phenomenal young man. He was standing outside of the huddle in between the quarters. It was 7-7. Seven to seven. We thought we would perform a lot better up to that point. We were not doing what we had said we were going to do. And he was standing outside of the huddle. And I said, what? I said, what's your problem? And he said, Coach, you're, and I won't say the exact words, but he said, this was a kid who ended up being a, an all-decade running back from Little St. Michael's in our area with 26 high schools. And I'm staring at him. He's a sincere kid. He's a good kid. He was a very talented young man. And I looked at our offensive coordinator, and I said, Coach, just give him the ball. And he went on to, I think, had 23 carries and three quarters and almost 300 yards and scored five touchdowns, Right. And it was just a moment because what he was telling me in that moment, he wasn't selfish. It wasn't anything else. We had prepared and weren't doing what we were supposed to do. Travis Kelsey, they had prepared, and now somebody's backing him up, and it's the largest stage, the largest game of the year. And that that the, the guy in front of the guy behind him that was in, you know, made a mistake. And he's just telling his coach, look, that needs to be me. Trust me. And so that's the passion, right? So we we coach these kids, we train them to be warriors, we ask them to be assassins and full tilt everything out on the field and we to bottle their emotion but also be respectful be gentlemanly right be be good sports there is there are times when things boil over and those are the points where we learn who we are that's what i tell them we learn who we are in that adversity we've got to be able to maintain our professionalism we've got to be able to maintain our respect and dignity for one another and our opponents because once that moment comes, and it's going to come, and it's going to come in a matter of seconds, we're on to the next, right? We're on to the next, and that's how we mentor mm -hmm. young men here, and that's life, right? You see all these horrible mm -hmm. things on the internet about road rage or confrontations in grocery stores and on people's neighborhoods. Well, they have to be calm, and they have to they have to learn. You know, they have to learn that, you know, it's just a moment, and you have to be dignified. You have to channel all of that. And move forward, you know, for your team because it's all about the team. And I, I guarantee you that's exactly what Travis Kelsey was thinking. Yeah. And I appreciate your take because your point, he meant what he said and he made a mistake in how he delivered it. And Coach Reed's response is just impeccable when you look at it. I think he shows the response that Kelsey could have and should have had and how he handled it. And what a great example that that's, you know, who is coaching this team. And at the end of the day, it's interesting because this all came in my purview because someone sent me the article. Taylor Swift fans are all upset. And again, I think a lot of people are like rolling their eyes in their head and other people are super excited because it has to do with Taylor Swift. Uh, but it does bring to mind this question because I initially saw the confrontation, started to look up commentary, heard the interviews, and I totally see that this culture, a lot of women would be looking at that guy, looking at Kelsey and saying, this is toxic masculinity. She needs to dump him but in actuality it's a it's showing aggression both in a good and a bad way aggression in the eagerness and aggression in the way he handled being asked to be put in and i'd love to hear your thoughts on healthy versus unhealthy aggression and how aggression is actually a good thing and so is competition even oh absolutely so aggression competition ferocity 
Um, the last time we spoke, we talked about um, relentlessness. Those are all things that God has given to us as men. And it's our ability to, to contain and maintain those things, you know, in 98% of our existence where they're just there and we control them, right? And when they're needed and we tap into them, whether it's sports, whether it's people that defend this country, whether it's the job that you do, whether it's, it's, it's defending your family, um, I, I think that's what makes men men, right? We have a, a, a slogan uh, for our program, scary people. Right. And that goes all the way back to, to, to a mom a year ago wondering if my high school students were college students and said they look kind of scary. And I'm like, well, that, that's a compliment. Thank you. Right. I mean, a bunch of big, gigantic, muscular kids walking around. And she started comment. a whole thing. It's on jerseys now. It's every hashtag scary people. They're like, where did that come from? That's arrogant. I'm like, no, it's not. It was a mom. It was a mom at a seven-on-seven tournament, which is passing, not even contact. But people don't want to play us on that either because we're very physical. But that's what, again, that's what makes us men. And the whole toxic masculinity thing, I've never bought into. I would say one of the bigger problems with the world would be anybody that listens to Taylor Swift, right? I mean, she. I did a little bit of homework before talking. I mean, all of her songs, and I've heard them because I have daughters. But it's, you know, I mean, every relationship she has, it, it's, it's you know, she's sleeping with this person. She's doing this. She's doing that. She's dumping this one. She got dumped. I mean, that's not a great example for young women, right? And it's just, yeah. and I get it. Every she's culture goes. She's toxic masculinity. In other words, like she she's promoting it by showing these are the men she continues to be with. Well, that, 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 that makes no sense to me because you're, you're dating one of the best football players on the planet, right? At his position, Travis Kelsey is one of the top tight ends in the history of the National Football League, which is over 100 years old. Um, and that, that toxic masculinity, if, if there is such a thing, that's what makes him who he is. He has to be able to control that. And you see these guys, they're professionals. At the end of every play, I mean, there, there's, some, there's some talking, right, especially guys on the line. Uh, DBs versus wide receivers, but a lot of times plays over, they're smiling at each other, patting each other on the head. You know, it's not always that way. I mean, it is a very, very heated sport because, because of the contact, because of the collisions, because of the physicality. It's the one sport we talk about. And I didn't, I didn't make up this quote, but I've said it for 35 years now, you know, our ability to impose our will on another man and there's nothing he can do about it. There's nothing greater in the world in terms of competition. Um, because it's just it, it that's a result and it's an edification of all the hard work. Now, is that toxic? No, because how do we temper that with Christ, right? We're not running our mouths, we're not using foul language, we're not doing anything dirty. We're just competing. When the whistle blows, we're on we say here whether you've just scored a touchdown or lost the game, it's on to the next play. That's life, right? There's tomorrow, there's the next moment after you and I are done talking. You've got other things to do. We're on to the next. Um and so for me, you know, that's what makes him special, right? What makes him special is his, number one, God gave him a height and athleticism. That, that's helpful. But he has taken advantage of that um, and turned himself into one of the best football players on the planet. Um, and so, you know, I think he's to be, I think he's to be applauded. A couple of thoughts on this, just to kind of you juxtapose Coach Reed's response versus Kelsey's in the confrontation between the two of them on the field. And again, it's all been worked out. I think there's there needs to be a softer eye in understanding the whole situation and just the fact that Reed really dismissed it. Hey, he caught me off balance and he was heated in the moment. Uh, but 
It talks to the role of virtue, I think. And if you're just joining us, that's Hugh Brown, the executive vice president of American Life League, also a football coach at St. Michael's High School in Virginia, uh, talking about the confrontation on the sideline between Kelsey, Travis Kelsey and Coach Reed. Properly ordered reactions are so key. And you highlighted that first by touching on how Coach Reed handled being pushed over, you know, plowed over and, you know, stumbling there on the sideline. And it reminds me of the virtue of meekness. You know, this idea that is so little understood in our modern culture. Like you look it up online and all these definitions for meekness make it sound as if it's some bad thing. And then you look at the Greek and the Hebrew, this idea of protus as the Greek, the Greek root of it is this lack of self-pride or lack of self-concern where there's humility with regard to your position or even emphasis. It puts an emphasis on serving as well, which is similar to another Greek word, which is pros, which has to do with deciding the this decided strength with regard to a disciplined calmness in your reaction, which is so contrary to anger. I was looking at even like the Hebrew word for meekness, which is a na. It's a it's bearing a heavy burden. And here we are, we see like with Kelsey and Coach Reed, they both had a heavy burden. They were on a national stage, the biggest stage when it comes to football, and they are there performing at the highest level in what they have been trained to do. You mentioned earlier, Kelsey's a warrior. He's in there being trained by Coach Reed, and circumstances are intense, yet that meekness, that mild response that Coach Reed has in that moment was so calm. For all we know, he could have reacted thinking he was being pushed over, but he didn't. There was no assuming or angry response in that moment. And I thought it was such a good moment as Christians to see the contrasting reactions and to ponder in our own lives how we might exercise and pray for that virtue of meekness that is so contrary to our current culture. Oh, and listen, he's a leader, right? Coach Reed is a leader. And it's not just meekness, it's humility and it's also truth. Um, when he speaks after the game and immediately says, I was a little embarrassed because I lost my balance, he's telling you the truth, and that's probably all he was thinking. <laughs> he's thinking, oh, good Lord, don't let me fall down on national television because I'm older, I'm a little heavy. Um, and again, in the, the seven years I've been doing this, I've now been run over literally twice, and I wasn't thinking about embarrassing. I was thinking about, I hope I didn't just get killed. Um, cause these, <laughs> these guys are big and fast, even in high school, it wasn't embarrassing. Yeah. It might've been when I was younger, but at this point I'm like, I, I may want to get back in the gym and be a little quicker <laughs> getting out of the way of people. Yep. Um, but you know, we talk as Catholics all the time, right? The, the one thing the devil can't handle is humility. And that's what coach Reed shows. And we have a character class at St. Michael and pastor Gary Holland was in yesterday and, you know, the Holy Spirit put on his heart to talk to the young men, am I my brother's keeper? And while we talk about football players or, 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 or men that work together or friends, as leaders, that takes on a whole different perspective. Coach Reed is his brother's keeper. Coach Reed is responsible for, for 53 players, for eight practice squad players, for probably 15 coaches, for probably 20 assistants to those coaches, for a training staff of 30 people, of logistics people, of, of all – you know, they have their own social media people. They have people that do everything. It's a staff of hundreds of people. And there's a lot of delegation, but he leads that whole thing. And he's clearly built a culture that is successful. And for someone like, again, kicker, Harrison Buckner to, to be able to feel comfortable to talk about the fact that he's pro-life and have Christ on his cleats and be able to openly say that 
you know, his mission as a professional football player, as the kicker for the Kansas City Chiefs, is to defend the most innocent, you know, the unborn. That is clearly a culture that 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 is 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 outstanding. And Coach Reed, I think, would tell you that's just a moment in time. It passed. And I also remember when Coach Reed was in Philadelphia. Um, and as a father, it, it hurt me a lot. His, you know, his one of his sons overdosed and died uh, in his twenties. And now, as a father of children in their twenties, um, you know, he's been through things that are really difficult. He has been through things that are real trauma. And again, to him to have him laugh and say, I, "I was just, you know, uncomfortable and hope I didn't fall over," he's telling you the truth. That moment meant nothing to him other than this kid's a competitor. Calm down. We'll get you back in the game. On to the next. And that's what leaders do. Because, again, it's not the action, it's the reaction. And he showed what a, a Christ-centered man does and how he responds. And my hat's off to him. It's a great take, you on the Kelsey and Coach Reed confrontation on the sideline during the Super Bowl. It's so much more than to what meets the eye. Because initially I saw, ooh, that's not good. And then you dig a little deeper and I hear your response. I think there's so much to be taken away from that. And, again, working on our own mindset, seeing how, okay, this is an example where I can dive in, see how I need to make adjustments in my own behavior. What are my reactions? Do I have that mildness? Do I have that humility regarding my position that I'm holding and how I navigate that response? You're listening to Trending with Tim Murray here on Relevant Radio. That's been Hugh Brown, the Executive Vice President of American Life Lake. Find them at ALL.org. I'll be right back diving into getting ready for Lent tomorrow. Also, St. Valentine's Real story. Do you know that he was sentenced to a three-part execution, beating, stoning, and finally decapitation? Why? I'll share with you in just a moment. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Tomorrow's St. Valentine's Day, and since you're maybe celebrating it today, because tomorrow's also Ash Wednesday, which totally takes precedence over your date night, your plans, your chocolates, because it's a hardcore fasting day, I thought it would be fitting to dive into St. Valentine's story today because it is so fitting that this feast day collides with Ash Wednesday. Do you know why St. Valentine was sentenced to a three-part execution of beating, stoning, and finally decapitation. I'll share with you in just a little bit here on the show. But first, do you have a plan for what you're doing this Lent? I know it's tomorrow and I'm still kind of solidifying things, uh, but I, I have a, I got a good kick in the pants yesterday and I have a much better direction for what I'm doing. And here's the deal. Lent is an excellent time, excellent time to be transformed by Christ. And it is a time where, unfortunately, we often decide to use it as that time I'm going to get healthy, that time I'm going to start drinking more water, that time I'm going to start eating better. Those are important things. And they absolutely 100,000% can be incorporated into what you're doing for Lent to go about achieving transformation in Christ. But they can also be left on a superficial plane. So I want to challenge you as you're, you've maybe already decided or you're choosing what you'll give up this Lent. Do you know what your biggest sin is that you commit repeatedly? Do you know what that is? Do you know 
what it is that you avoid taking to confession and you just don't go. Because you think whether you're unforgivable or maybe you've just dig- dug your heels in that far that you don't even think it's a sin anymore. You don't think it's a problem. Maybe it's that thing that you justify that you do every day. Do you know what it is? Or is it something you are taking to confession over and over and over again? That sin, whatever it is that you may or may not realize, is one of the biggest hurdles that you need to let go of and be transformed out of. To walk through and out of that fire because God is waiting to just downpour his graces on you to pull you out of the muck of what it is. And it could be something really horrific. It could be an outright mortal sin that, dear Lord, have mercy, go running to confession now. Call that priest. Go to confession. Or it could be a venial sin that you are repeatedly committing that is doing damage to your soul and to the relationships of the people around you. Do you know what that sin is? Or are you just going to do something this Lent that is semi-inconvenient and you'll get rid of? Okay, I'm giving up coffee. And don't get me wrong, I get it. Coffee can be a severe sacrifice to give up. Okay, I'm giving drinking. Great. These things that you really love, that's great to give up things that you love. Or maybe you've chosen something that's a big sacrifice for you. And maybe that is coffee. Maybe that is drinking. Maybe it is social media. I don't know what it is for you. Or maybe it's you're just kind of throwing in something you're giving up out of trivial obligation because it's a season of Lent and you know you should. And so you're trying to check that box. I really want to challenge you to scratch it. Scratch all of that and really consider what is that sin that is persistent in my behavior I'm either taking it to confession consistently, I'm avoiding it, I may be justifying and disregarding it because I have been committing it for so long. How do you figure out what that is? Pray for the Holy Spirit to reveal that to you. Help you to understand. Really take some time. Go through a pretty um, comprehensive examination of conscience. You might be surprised when you go through a comprehensive examination of conscience. I'll actually make sure that we post one here on social media and in the episode notes. A very comprehensive examination of conscience. And you realize, oh, oh, I didn't realize that. I didn't realize that I was actually breaking this commandment by doing that. And sometimes one of the best ways to do it is to consider the state in life you're in right now. And are you giving yourself in the way that you ought to be based on your state in life? Based on your responsibilities, based on your freedom, based on your lack of freedom. Now, as we're looking at Lent, a reminder that there's a bare minimum in terms of a direction to take us. So once you figure out what that sin is, start to think of it in relation to doing the bare minimum of what the church prescribes for us to do during Lent, and that is prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. How can you incorporate prayer, fasting, and almsgiving into turning over that sin, that bad habit? It could be mortal, it could be venial, that needs to be gotten rid of because of its persistence. How can you incorporate into your Friday abstinence from meat a sacrifice with that that has to do with that sin that has persisted. And I get it. Some people say, oh, I'm giving up chocolates. Well, I want to challenge you that in the past, historically, Lent has been a season that was very dry when it came to luxuries, whether it be the luxury of salt on your food, whether it be the luxury of additional spices, maybe it be the luxury of any desserts at all. Historically, 
Lent was a crackdown of very simple eating across the board. And that was a baseline that then led into additional abstinences of prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. Now, if you're trying to figure out areas to look at, look at your your season of life you're in, your state in life, your responsibilities. Who is or is not entrusted to your care? Again, what is that biggest sin and how is it related to your responsibilities, to your state in life? And I'll just throw some ideas out there when you perhaps consider giving up social media, which is so necessary, so important. Don't just let it be for the season of Lent or just for six days of the week and then you binge on Sunday. But let it be for the connection to how it is impacting that sin that just persists and is digging at your soul, digging at your relationships, digging at your vocation, maybe even your career. Maybe you're working on reducing the amount of time spent on your phone. I have what's called the Black and White Challenge that I posted a number of years here. And we'll post the link to the Black and White Challenge. We posted it up on Relevant Radio. Um, This is a great, there's an article version of it, and you can listen to the podcast, a great way to crack down if your phone use is part of what's tempting you to be angry, tempting you to look at porn, tempting you to be unfaithful to your spouse, I don't know, whatever it is, tempting you to not pay attention to your kids and be short-tempered and angry, you're not fulfilling responsibilities within your family life, you're not being proactive, whatever it is, maybe you're you're procrastinating, you're not meeting the needs in accordance with your state in life. Well, That's great if you want to crack down on your phone use. Do it. Do my black and white challenge where you literally change your phone screen to black and white. You delete all of these notifications. You lock down your phone. But let it be in conjunction with that greatest sin. See how that can help draw you out of that sin and enter into the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Of this Lent, don't be afraid of confession. Great. Your parish has a penance service, or maybe you're going to a penance service at a parish nearby because you want to avoid that your priest might recognize you. (laughs) People are always afraid of that. I think it's great when you go to priests that you know for confession. It's important. But again, we have that gift of being anonymous in confession, hence the screen. It's a wonderful thing. Don't be afraid of confession. And if you are, pray for the courage to go and to go so that God can Pour his mercy down upon you in showers so that you can enter into his mercy, but ultimately into his joy, into that happiness of God that is not a fleeting emotion, but that is peace, that is hope, that is faith, that is charity. So as you're navigating what your plans are this Lenten season, remember to Truly ask our Lord to reveal to you what that biggest sin is. That sin that maybe you've even forgotten that a sin is a sin that you justify. And we'll post again an examination of conscience to t- take up and spend some time in prayer with to help aid that into incorporating it into your prayer, fasting, almsgiving, and whatever sacrifices you might end up end up entering into this Lent. You're listening to Trending with Tim Ray here on Relevant Radio. If you supported us this past week in our pledge drive, thank you. We had a need of $3 million just to cover basic operating expenses over the next three months. And thanks to you, your prayer, your sacrifices, your gifts, we've been able to do that. Praise the Lord. If you haven't given and you would still like to, it's not too late because any 
Additional funding that we receive helps to go to growing the network, buying new radio stations, not just covering basic operating costs. And this is more important than ever before. To have the truth of our Lord Jesus Christ, to have open conversations about some of the toughest topics in the culture with a faith-filled response, this is something to get behind. And maybe that's how you do your almsgiving this year, but it's not too late to give. RelevantRadio.com is the easiest way. Or if you're listening on our free Relevant Radio app, be sure just go ahead and donate through there. It's easy, it's safe, it's secure. So RelevantRadio.com. I'll be right back to share the story of St. Valentine. Do you know why he faced a sentencing of a three-part execution of beating, stoning, and finally decapitation? I'll share with you that in just a moment and how it's so fitting that St. Valentine's Day is tomorrow on Ash Wednesday. We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Are you ready for Ash Wednesday and St. Valentine's Day? A lot of people are getting their plans out this weekend or tonight for St. Valentine's Day. But I really love St. Valentine's story. It's pretty incredible. St. Valentine was sentenced to a three-part execution of beating, stoning, and finally decapitation. Do you know why? For marrying people when Emperor Claudius had an edict against marriage. Now, at that time, the Roman Emperor Claudius II was persecuting the church, but in particular, he had an edict that prohibited the marrying of young people. The edict was put in place because he believed that unmarried soldiers fought better than married soldiers at the time. This is one of the many reasons, but it, very silly uh, belief. I actually do think, you know, you could put an argument on both sides. I do think that married men can often have more to fight for. And so say, well, someone who's not married is more willing to risk their lives. Not necessarily. Someone who's married is going to fight hard to make sure he comes home and those with him as well. So there's much to be said in that whole conversation. It brings up a, I think, important topic. But here's the deal. St. Valentine was eventually caught for the fact that he was marrying people, young people, because he stood up for the right to marry, that it's a sacrament in the church, and that it's a fundamental vocation of the human person to marry and to enter into family life. That's how important it was. It wasn't just him dispersing communion and giving us the greatest gift of our faith, the source and summit of our faith, but he was willing to risk his life, not just by celebrating Mass, but celebrating the sacrament of matrimony as well. It's pretty significant. Normally you hear stories about priests who were engaging in you know, the underground church and they were murdered for the fact that they were still passing on the faith. 
they were St. Valentine was passing on the faith, not only the passing on of the Eucharist by by preserving that right to marry, that great gift of sacramental marriage. And it's significant too because these people could just say, "Okay, well, I'm married and I'm just going to live together and I'm going to start my family." No, you need to be married and be married in the church. Not only that, you need the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ to be that balm that keeps the two of you together in good times and in bad. And St. Valentine was caught for giving just that great gift of the sacrament of matrimony to people who so desperately needed it as Emperor Claudius had put forth this edict saying that you can't get married. And just note, this is how significant marriage within the church was. The Emperor Claudius didn't just sh- shut down these public civil ceremonies. No, he shut up the sacrament of marriage because we know the sacrament of matrimony is that important. So if you've been married and you've been married outside of the church, I invite you to come into the church, bring that marriage into the light of the church, navigate what might or might not be challenging circumstances, and let your marriage Receive the grace of Christ. And just think for a moment that Jesus Christ's first first miracle was that of the wedding feast at Cana, his first public miracle. All because his mother asked him to do so, but just to celebrate the marriage of a couple. That should give us another insight into the significance of marriage, of upholding and supporting marriage, even in the celebratory elements. So while in prison, St. Valentine is most notoriously known in the theme for our secular Hallmark holiday today of what's known as Saint, not St. Valentine's Day, but just Valentine's Day. St. Valentine is the man, the myth, and the legend, and ultimately the saint reigning with Christ in heaven. And his story is so significant. And we'll talk about it a little bit more, but that three-part execution, the fact that he was imprisoned, and tortured for performing marriage ceremonies against the command of Emperor Claudius II. Now, while he was in prison, what he's best known for is for healing Asterius' daughter. She was a young girl who was blind. And as the story of St. Valentine goes, these are historical figures, he prayed and actually he prayed with her and healed her. And he would exchange letters back and forth with Asterius's daughter and the letters he would sign your valentine i think this is actually pretty significant we've lost this culture of letter writing which i love i spent some years before i got married trying to take that back up whether it be with thank you cards or different uh, seasonal cards or just writing letters to various people, friends who lived on the other side of the country, uh, religious friends who were in other countries as well. And there's this beauty to letter writing. There's this healthy vulnerability to the written word that I think is so significant. It's another topic for another day. But when you think about the fact that St. Valentine would sign his letters, your Valentine, just like when letters are often signed, you'd sign yours truly, or maybe your wife, or different different forms of endearment in those letters, St. Valentine signed off your Valentine. And when we say these statements of yours truly or your Valentine at the end of a letter, it gives a sense of belonging to another person, being at the service 
of another person. Entrusting yourself to another person, isn't that what love is? That you're entrusting yourself to another person and you could get hurt. Why? Because you're sacrificing ultimately part of yourself, or at least you should be, because that's what Lent is. Now, ultimately, after this great miracle of healing Asterius's daughter and these letters that were exchanged back and forth, St. Valentine, as I mentioned earlier, died a three-part execution of beating, stoning, and finally decapitation. And I'm always amazed by this because we have this really gushy Hallmark holiday of Valentine's Day, which is great. Celebrate love. That's fine, but don't forget the person behind it who fought so that people could marry at a time when Christianity was being snuffed out and the very vocation of sacrificial love through matrimony was being not just avoided, but being told that you could not live out that vocation. And yet St. Valentine, in the thick of this, endured a very significant cross for him and what he ultimately experienced of beating, stoning, and decapitation. It reminds me in many respects of the endurance St. Paul had for the gospel. We read those words that St. Paul says in 2 Timothy that he fought the good fight and he's finished the race. He's kept the faith. And then he's expecting this crown of victory that he will be with God in heaven as a result of this. Well, what did St. Paul endure? If you ever read that passage or just meditate upon that for a minute, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, St. Paul says, Five times I received at the hand of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I've been beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I've been shipwrecked at night. In a day, I've been adrift at sea, on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brethren, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is a daily pressure upon me of my anxiety for all the churches. Every time I hear that one paragraph from St. Paul's writings in the second letter to the Corinthians in the New Testament, my jaw just about drops. Look at all that St. Paul himself endured. And I love how at the end of it, he mentions, not to mention the daily pressure I, I have in life and the anxieties that I carry. And look at what he suffered. Look at what St. Valentine endured in his own suffering. That three-part execution, beating, stoning, and finally decapitation. What role does suffering have in our lives? What role does it play? Is it redemptive? As Catholics, we have this unique take on redemptive suffering. Or if you're a cradle Catholic, maybe you heard those words over and over again. Offer it up. Offer it up. You're struggling? Good. Suck it up. Offer it up. There's a wonderful encyclical, Salvific Dolores, that Pope St. John Paul II wrote in 1984. Ironically, he actually, it was published on February 11th, 1984, which I just actually realized right now, right before the feast day of St. Valentine's Day. And this year, St. Valentine's Day and Ash Wednesday collide on the same day. But something he writes in there that I think is most poignant, you should really read the letter. We'll post a link to it on social media. He says, what we express by the word suffering seems to be particularly essential to the nature of man. That is, he means the nature of the human person. 
He goes on to say, it manifests in its own way that depth which is proper to man and its own and in its own way surpasses it. In other words, suffering is at the depth of the human person. It's essential to the human person. And it helps us to go not just to the depth of who we are as human beings, but to surpass what we are. He goes on to say, suffering seems to belong to man's transcendence. It is one of those points in which a man is in a certain sense destined to go beyond himself and is called to this in a mysterious way. So what he's saying is that through suffering, we find our transcendence in God and that we're destined through suffering to go beyond ourselves to God and that that's a great mystery. Just as we look at the mystery of Christ and the cross, that's a mystery. We look at the mysteries of the sacraments, the seven sacraments we have. And the Eastern part of the church, they refer to sacraments not as sacraments, but as mysteries. We've heard the idea over and over again, and I hope you have, that God only allows us to suffer what we are able to endure. It's encouraging when things are difficult. That God is only allowing me to suffer what we can endure. But here's a challenge when it comes to suffering. We have some choices because of our free will. We can choose not to endure it and take horrific ways out. We can choose to become victims or we can choose, we can choose to do many things in our avoidance of suffering. We can run. Many things. You name it. But then we can also can try to endure it. Now we could start to try to endure suffering and give up. We could even survive suffering without Christ, but then become a victim holding a chip on our shoulder for all those terrible things we've endured. Or we can rely on Christ and be transformed by that suffering. Let it be the moment that proves the human person, that enters into the transcendence of the human being, as as Pope St. John Paul II said. See that we're destined through that suffering to go to God in a very mysterious way. But the question is, will we be transformed by Christ? Will we surrender that? I challenged you earlier. You're trying to decide what you're doing for Lent, or maybe you've already decided. Make sure it's in conjunction with your most predominant and persistent sin. Do you know what that is? And I hope you'll listen. If you didn't, go catch the podcast later, relevantradio.com or the Relevant Radio app. It's free. Because that's very important that whatever sacrifice we're entering into is out of love for Christ to eradicate sin from our lives and to truly transform our behavior. Will we be transformed by him? Venerable Fulton Sheen made this comment that I heard a few years ago for the first time and has really resonated me with me. He discusses how we live in a culture where many people are walking around as half-crucified souls. In other words, some people may carry their cross all the way to Calvary, he said, but then they abandon it. He says others are nailed to it and detach themselves before the elevation. Others are crucified, but in answer to the challenges of the world come down. They come down after one hour, two hours, after two hours and 59 minutes. He says real Christians are they who persevere unto the end. Our Lord stayed until he had finished. This is Tim Ray from Trending with Tim Ray. We have a collision between Ash Wednesday and St. Valentine's Day. I hope you'll join me. We'll be joined by a professional matchmaker with five steps to take if you're single on St. Valentine's Day or if you know someone who is and you've been asked for some advice. 
Also, what is the significance of the ashes we receive? And what is almsgiving? We're supposed to do it this Lent, but what is it? Join me daily, 6 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio or the Relevant Radio app.